Hi and welcome to Terra.2's Climate Podcast. Focusing on developing countries, we hope to cover a range of issues relating to climate change, development, sustainability, conservation and many more. Today's guest is Vasita Vijaynayaka. She is an international lawyer specializing in public international law with a focus on international environmental law and UN human rights law. Basita presently works as the executive director of Slycan Trust and is also a member of the National Expert Committee on Climate Change of Sri Lanka. Having worked since 2009 on bridging youth and environmental activism, she has focused on engaging youth as a key stakeholder in climate change processes through capacity building and awareness creation. Basita is engaged in the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change negotiation process since 2009 she's been a part of sri lanka's delegation to the meetings of the conference of parties to the unfccc since 2016 she has over a decade of experience in working on climate change at both the national and international level i'm kiti manyan and i'll be your host for today hi vasita welcome to our program hello kiti nice to be uh, able to talk with you yes thanks I'm just going to get started off by saying, you know, you started life as a lawyer. What got you started on your climate change journey? And we would love to hear more about this transition. Yeah, so actually I got into climate change while I was a law student, so I hadn't taken my oaths at that point. It was actually quite an accident, not necessarily that it was an accident in the sense that I didn't want to focus on environment and climate change but how i got into the deep end of it is was by accident i was doing a research on biodiversity law and then heard that the first south asian youth gathering was happening and obviously i was very interested to be part of it and i applied and then it continued from there so it's been 11 12 years now since <laughs> journey started and I played different roles youth expert to a society government delegates so it's multiple roles now but yeah it's it's been a very interesting journey and I hope it was also a productive one right thank you for that can you tell listeners about what climate change means in sri lanka and what are the key issues that your country is being faced with climate change what it means so i think we lot of people in the population now know about climate change either with the word climate change or without because everyone is feeling impacts of climate change and certain sectors are impacted more than the other ones so if you take the agriculture sector we've already experienced a lot of losses and damages due to droughts and floods that have taken place in the last few years and as you know sri lanka has been identified as one of the most vulnerable countries to climate change in certain reports that were published in the recent past so people talk about it people talk about how the temperature is increasing how the droughts are happening and then why we need to take actions in different sectors so it's something a day to day occurrence to everyone we experience it in different levels based on our vulnerabilities and how they are aggravated by impacts of climate change i guess from which angle you look at the impacts would be felt differently by different people different ecosystems but it's something which is a daily 
thing that we experience now in Sri Lanka. Right. And what is your organization, SLICAN, doing in this environment? What kind of challenges are you facing in your day-to-day work? And have the nature of these challenges changed in the last couple of years? So SLICAN Trust, we started first focusing on youth engagement in climate change processes and activities that youth could do to make a change or take climate action. But since 2015, we've become more of a think tank slash more research-oriented organization, which also does work on the ground, but we try to create policy changes and also contribute to research that would change policies to take action. I mean, challenges, I guess it's it's a different question when it comes to an organization. So first, it would be the understanding and awareness on climate change, which was like when we started initially, how people would see climate change, whether it's important or not, a focus area. But now I think people understand it's something urgent. It's something which we all experience and that's something we need to take actions on. So it's been positive in the last few years when it comes to work and working with different stakeholders. I think the best example of this is how the government has engaged with civil society, youth and different actors, including private sector, to take action. So I can trust focus on working with different stakeholders. We work with all stakeholders we possibly can. So government, private sector, media, youth. And we also keep in mind that we want to focus on youth in every component that we do, capacity building, skill development, so that we can engage youth to create change on the ground. Um, I wouldn't call it a challenge. And it's also a, a gradual progress with actions we've been taking and what we are now. And when you say capacity building and development of skills, can you give me an example of something your organization has done in, the say, the last two years that has actually kind of created impact? Right. So one thing we did was, as I mentioned, we registered as a trust and then also as a, a nonprofit organization. So we have when we converted into a more formal setup, since 2016, we decided we want to have a focused program that would get youth involved in addition to the making processes where we want them involved, like something related to bringing them on board to take climate action, empowering them. So one of the main things that we do to ensure that youth engage efficiently in climate action in Sri Lanka is the Youth Forum that we do annually, which started as part of a government conference that happens at national level, which is called a Blue-Green Era Conference, and it's an annual thing that was done by the Ministry of Environment of Sri Lanka. And since its inception, we've been focusing and organizing the Youth Forum to ensure that youth can play a part in the work that we do, as well as at national level and also the local level. So that itself was a learning process because we first focused on having a lot of participants and creating awareness. And then we also realized that that's not very effective. There's no follow-up. And since the next years, we focus on getting people to apply based on a project that they want to implement and then try to help them to implement these projects, find funding for them or provide funding through our projects that could connect with the focus areas they were interested in. So we hope that in 2020, we could do the same project, like Youth Forum, that is, the work that we do, and engage more youth in Sri Lanka. And the best part is that we've seen some of these youth we got as participants being invited to 
forums, decision-making processes as experts or technical people now. So it shows a success, even if it's 10 people who've taken a project and done something or taken up a job focusing on climate change, that people are interested and truly invested in doing something with their life connected to climate change. That shows a real impact of the kind of work they've been doing. So it's really, really great. So moving now to what the government does, what is Sri Lankan government's policy with regard to climate change? Give us a kind of primer on how the government is actually dealing with this issue. Okay, Sri Lankan government has a lot of policies, actually. There's a climate change policy, then there's a climate change commission act uh, that's being developed at the moment. Then there's also national determined contributions, the commitments that Sri Lanka has made under the Paris Agreement, which focus on 14 areas. So basically every sector is covered and the line ministries would be taking actions to address climate change. And then there's the National Adaptation Plan, which was done in 2015 and submitted in 2016. So there's a lot that's ongoing related to policy front, which links to climate action. So there's a review process of the national determined contributions that's been happening since last year. And we're trying to increase the ambition in short, in terms of what Sri Lanka does to address climate change. So we have mitigation, adaptation and loss and damage. So one of the few countries that focuses on all elements, uh, all three elements. And we have specific actions which we have submitted. And now we're trying to kind of work around how to do it better and what can be improved in those actions. And in your experience, is it a case where one has kind of taken precedence over the other or is it all three have been given equal weightage? Okay, that's a tricky question, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's theoretical and in practice. In the history of climate change, if you do the whole one sentence thing, people prioritize mitigation and then we realize that adaptation is needed because mitigation is not sufficient. And then we realize that we can't adapt to everything. So we need to work on addressing losses and damages, right? So when it comes to funding, Sri Lanka being a developing country, for us, adaptation is a priority comparing emissions and what we are facing. So this it's a disproportionate situation. So while mitigation is important, adaptation is very important for Sri Lanka. But then adaptation is not sufficient because we are already feeling losses and damages. People are already displaced or having certain impacts like migrating temporarily for work. And then there are already certain biodiversity degradation that's happened. So loss and damage is equally important. So I wouldn't say anything is not important. But for countries like Sri Lanka, which are developing countries, need to pay attention to adaptation and loss and damage. So mitigation is not the only one we should be focusing on, is what I would say. So given our emission numbers, while we need to reduce as a country and take sustainable and climate-friendly measures, in the global sphere, I think for us, adaptation and loss and damage are very important. Right. Okay. And talking about where the money comes for this, can you unpack the Commonwealth Climate Finance Access Hub for us? Do you think member states are actually able to use the funds for their benefit? And if, do you know of any examples in this regard? Okay, so I think this is actually a very new topic. So when we're talking about climate finance, we talk about adaptation fund or green climate fund and Commonwealth and the Access Hub. Actually, that's something I believe is 
new to people in Sri Lanka. But I think it's important what the objective of it is and the fact that developing countries, LDCs, need support, capacity and information and skills to access the funding that's available. So in that sense, the hub plays a big role. I feel like maybe it should be publicized a bit more so that countries could gain access to the hub support so that they could benefit from accessing the resources that's available, climate finance that's available. So for me, I feel like it's a new thing that people need more information on. And there have been meetings, obviously, where countries have participated, but maybe a bit more information for everyone to see how countries and local partners could engage in these activities or form partnerships could be one thing that we could look into, I think. For example, there are certain countries that have benefited already. And I think if you go to the Access Hub, they have a lot of interesting information on this. As far as I know, but Sri Lanka has not yet done anything or access funding with the Commonwealth involved. But Commonwealth activities in Sri Lanka are big, not the finance hub, but there's also the mangrove restoration group that Sri Lanka is leading and other activities Sri Lanka is connected to. So there's always a link to climate change activities that work on biodiversity restoration and mangrove restoration. But Sri Lanka has access funding with the support of the hub. I don't think we have anything at the moment. What kind of climate change narrative do you think is being presented by the media to ordinary Sri Lankans? And does there need to be change in this regard? Okay, so if you just go back a few years, in 2014, when the IPCC reports were discussed, a lot of civil society organizations, including us, we engaged in changing the narrative of how we promote climate action, that it should not be a doom factor, but then you show that we can do something so people would engage and do something to make changes that would impact in a positive sense to reduce impacts of climate change. In Sri Lanka, I would say the storylines have both aspects. So these are the impacts, bad things are coming narrative, and then also the fact that we can do something to take action. For Slack and Trust, when we engage with media, the, the work that we did with them, the workshops, we're always trying to communicate that the message, it's not late for us to take action, that we should do something to take action and create change. So I see that happening in narratives. They are evidence-based than before. Uh, if you look 10 years ago, there was a lot of science-based evidence that we could talk about in terms of climate change in Sri Lanka, but now it's there. So media is informed, they're interested, they want to write on these topics, not just about mitigation, but other topics like resilience. How can biodiversity be impacted by climate change? How is gender considered in climate action? How are women and children impacted? So you see a narrative that's diverse, and it's very interesting that a few years ago, this, this would not have been the case, I believe. So Media is interested in learning. They want more information. And I feel the narrative is turning to something. Yes, we still have you know, hope that we can do something to address this or that we need to address this. So that would be the main messaging that I've seen. Right. And do you think social media has played a big role in pushing different narratives forward? Or do you think it's because of the whole evolution of how 
climate change itself has come to be seen. So what I'm trying to ask is basically, do you think it's, it's one or do you think it's the other or it's all together? Social media has played a big role. You see a lot of people engaging. You see personal stories that have created impacts. It's also reached a different kind of audience, the youth groups, uh, students. So that, that has created impact on how people see climate change. So yeah, definitely like Facebook, Instagram. I see a lot of youth posting on climate change and I see young journalists engaging on social media platforms and also digital media. So it has created a lot of change in how we can reach out to masses to take action. And if you take Slack and Trust, we also focus a lot on getting people engaged on social media. And we try to create a discussion around it also on climate change on social media. So I think a lot of people use social media but I wouldn't say that it's not the only thing that people use to communicate is what I would like to say. So you still have press also prioritizing and taking up environmental issues and climate change is spoken on their articles as well. This kind of brings me to the question of climate activism and has that become a thing in Sri Lanka? And do you feel climate activism actually has an impact? Like, Is there a question of where people are frustrated with what is happening and they want people to take more action. Therefore, that's leading to activism. Is that a situation that you're seeing in Sri Lanka at all? Yeah, this is one that's going to get me in trouble, actually. Because I guess the activism tag is is different, right? It's country-specific, I think. So, say, you have climate strikes. What does that mean in different countries would be something. And there are certain people taking up climate strikes or promoting climate strikes in Sri Lanka. But is that the only activism or is it more about speaking out about it and being vocal about it? I feel like, yes, short answer is yes. A lot of people have understood the impacts of climate change, so they are active in advocating to take action on climate change and addressing impacts. So, yeah, short answer is a lot of people are more vocal, more aware, more engaging and advocating to take steps to address climate change. Do we have strikes in Sri Lanka? Well, that's a different one. Do we have protests? Yes, we do. But do we have large-scale protests? Maybe not. Because I think how we link certain actions which are considered as activism is something cultural, right? So we need to see it in how Sri Lanka we would take a step that would have most productive results. But the short answer to your question about activism, yes, there are more people engaging in climate change-related activities, which involves activism. And we have a lot of youth who are social media active, who promote or advocate to take climate action or for sustainable lifestyles, sustainable living, which connects to climate change also, our choices and consumption, that sort of discussion. So it's interesting. I mean, we see different people, not just youth, but different people like women engaging more on this. Yeah, it's a positive change. You talked about women and and youth engaging. And is this a question then of they become social media activists? You know, they call them keyboard warriors and it doesn't necessarily translate into feet on the ground. Like most of the climate strikes that you read about, you know, in the Western world, it relates to that, right? It's feet on the ground. You know, there's a million people saying, oh, we want something from you, from the government. 
Do you think that's something that could potentially happen in Sri Lanka in the future? Does it need to happen is the question. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> no, see, the thing is, okay, there are two elements to this. I, I don't know whether you kind of asked this follow-up question based on my answer, but see, personally, I feel like you need to take the action that has the most uh, positive consequence. It could be promoting something in a manner that's not very public, but you know it's scientifically correct and you engage different stakeholders and you have the traditional way of doing it, but you have something that happens concrete and it happens. And then there's also the way that you can get attention and draw attention, create awareness, and then build it to a policy change, right? Those are very viable options. And then you can also play your other role of awareness creation simply and get other people to decide for themselves and create change. I think everything is fine. All these options are there. And I think everyone needs to play their roles and contribute. Coming to the initial question of whether people are just promoting things and nothing happening. I think like whatever you promote, if it's something that you are aware of and you promote and you take action or there's activism, I think it would contribute to changes. The small problem that I see is like when you want to promote activism and you want to engage in activism, but if you're trying to criticize people in the process, I think people need to be informed of what's around them when they do it. Otherwise, it might have other issues. So I think informed activism would be what I promote. It could be in any of the forms I mentioned or more, but with evidence and with solid information. Because otherwise, you could have someone with 3 million followers. This is just a hypothesis. But someone who promotes something which is not positive in terms of climate action. So then that might have other repercussions, right? So the activism, the interests of taking action clubbed with evidence would be the best option. I, I like the term that you use, informed activism. I think that's a great term. I should start using that in my next questions, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so based on years of experience in this field, with regard to the current climate crisis, do you think we have reached a tipping point or have we passed it? What is your opinion? And you could answer this either globally or with regard specifically to Sri Lanka. I think climate change is something we need to take urgent actions on. So whether we reach the tipping point or whether we reached it a long time ago, analyzing that doesn't really make a lot of sense. But what we need to understand is if we do not take immediate and urgent actions, we are going to have repercussions that we potentially or definitely would not be able to turn back. So we need to ensure that we take urgent action at policy level and actions on the ground so that we ensure that vulnerable communities, ecosystems are protected. If you look at the science that's out there for Sri Lanka, for example, coral reefs, mangroves, these are like 99, 97% at a threat of being lost or damaged or having impacts that are going to be really serious if we don't take action, right? So, what we need to do is have urgent action and countries acting together as well as with multiple stakeholders involved so that we have holistic actions which are not in silos and then you know take actions that are immediate not 10 years down the line when we talked about the tipping point and in sri lanka itself we talked about the different kinds of policies that are in place so are these policies 
all things that have kind of materialized or are they in process of being acted upon, so to speak? I think both, actually. Because uh, if you take the NDCs, the National Determined Contributions, Sri Lanka also had a readiness plan from 2017 to 2019, so three years of preparing to implement the NDCs because research, evidence, data, that sort of stuff that we need to implement climate action. So we have certain actions that are happening. And that's why I think we need to understand that some are urgent actions, some are things that we need to set the process moving, right? Mm. So for example, if we want to have an adaptation measure, we would ideally have a risk assessment done and identify the more vulnerable or risk areas. And then that sort of action to happen, we need data, which is a big gap in a lot of developing countries, not just Sri Lanka. So the initial steps have been taken on that front to have data or find indicators to take measures to adapt to climate change. While there are other things, like say, if we are going to set up a coal power plant, then we need to take immediate measures of not doing something which is going to have long-term repercussions. So certain actions, yes, they're happening immediately. Don't link it with the example of coal power plants, but in general. Yeah. And then also, which are long-term ones, which are like the just transition processes that need to come in when it comes to livelihood changes and all. And also, we all have this national communication process in Sri Lanka at the moment, uh, the third national communication that's being wrapped up at the moment. So that would also bring certain information that could facilitate actions on the ground for adaptation, because there'll be risk maps which will come out and data that's available for us to take evidence-based decisions for climate change action. Do you think the pace of policy should be faster? I know it's government we're talking about, and it runs on its own pace. But given what is happening in the country and globally, for that matter, do you think policies can be driven faster? Ideally, we need policies that are implemented faster, I think. But a policy that is formulated fast, I don't know whether it's the best thing or not. Right. Okay. Because... You have a lot of policies that come out, right? Then you might not have a consultative process, a participatory and inclusive process. And then you might not actually have considered the data that needs to be considered or the evidence. Plus, and a danger in having policies that are fast. So I would say implementation needs to be there for policies that are good and evidence-based. And the implementation needs to happen fast. And the policy process, it needs to be taking sufficient time, not too long, and they need to be evidence-based and inclusive and participatory. So rushing to make a policy might not be the best thing, and taking too long to make a policy would not be the best thing also. So adequate time and effective and efficient implementation would be ones, I would say, need to be taken into account. Sounds good. Lastly, any last words for our listeners? I think you have a focus on activism, right, in your podcast. But I, I think we need to see activism in a context-based manner so that we do not expect every country to have the activism in the same manner that you see. Because what would work in one region might not be the same or the most appropriate to advocate for something. A cause that you believe in, the messaging could be different. But what is important is that you achieve the best benefits 
which is inclusive and which brings in different stakeholders to take process that would be inclusive, right? Yeah. And the other thing is we need to realize that a lot of countries, developing countries, need a lot of support. Climate finance is very important. We are feeling the impacts of climate change. We are feeling the losses and damages. There's already people losing their houses, jobs. So there's not a lot of time for us to take action. And these developing countries need to be prioritized. I'm not saying that developed countries do not have impacts. I think impacts of climate change are global, but we need to take in the context of how the vulnerabilities impact, taking into consideration economic and social and all other factors. So as the last words, I would say, when we're talking of climate change, the narratives, we need to see how humans, animals, and ecosystems are impacted long-term and our decisions need to be sustainable, integrated, and also holistic so that we have the best benefits uh, and reduce the climate impacts. Fabulous last words. Thank you so very much. I had a great time talking to you and learning so much about what is happening with regard to climate change across Sri Lanka. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you, Kate. They love to talk to you.